Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, July 6th. This women's final four we have coming up at the 2021 Wimbledon, pretty damn good. Now, all four of our quarterfinal matches today ending in straight sets, but you look at our final field, Ashley Barty taking on Angelique Kerber. Those are two former Grand Slam champions, two players to see them play at the level they've hit for Barty in particular, the third 10-match win streak of her career entering these semifinals, both certainly deserving of a spot in the final four. And then you look on the other side of the draw, all of us wondering, when would Arena Sabalenka capitalize on her promise, on her talent, make the deep run we all knew she was capable of at a Grand Slam? The answer to that question, the 2021 Wimbledon, as she is through to her first semifinal, knocking off On Jabour in straight sets. Now, she takes on perhaps the least expected semifinalist of the group in Karolina Pliskova, who has been a staple in the top 10 of the WTA for the past five years, dropped out of that top 10 for the first time last week in over five seasons. She's now immediately back into that group as she reaches the semifinal. Another straight set victory for her. A fantastic day of tennis in the books. And of course, we've got another fun one ahead of us as well as the gentleman singles draw unfolds on Wednesday. Joining me on today's podcast to recap all of day's eight's action at Wimbledon, to preview the men's quarterfinal on day nine, and to talk about everything else in between, you know him as our do-everything here at Cracked Rackets, the forefather of the forehand slice, and of course, the only undefeated high school tennis coach in Missouri State history. It's James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing today? Good. It's uh, it's refreshing to see a semifinal, a final four on the women's side that you're like, yeah, that feels right. You know, so that's uh, that's good. Even even if Jabour had won that match over Sabalenka, I feel like we still would have been in that boat. So uh, good place to be, honestly, and uh, a very deserving four um, to to close out the uh, the women's side of Wimbledon. So very good. I'm happy. I'm content. It's good stuff. That's where we have to start today's podcast, because even before we get into how we got to the semifinals, just a comparison of this year's, uh, uh, excuse me, of this Wimbledon semifinal to the French Open semifinal. In that instance, it was Krejcikova versus Sakari, two first-time semifinalists, taking, uh, and then Pavlochenkova and Zidanzik, two first-time semifinalists. In this one, I already laid out the case, two former Grand Slam champions, one of them the number one player in the world on the other side 
side, two players, the questions surrounding them. Perhaps the last seven seasons, the question, that you know, because the biggest question always is which player that hasn't won a Grand Slam title yet uh, is closest to doing so. You could argue over the past seven years that belt has belonged to Karolina Pliskova, and she's slowly handed it off now to Arena Sabalenka. That it, regardless of the winner of this event, I just feel like the narratives coming out of it so vastly different than the 2021 French Open. And then, of course, just one more stat to throw at you, Jamie, before I let you respond. You look at this 2021 season, 12 different semifinalists in the 12 semifinal spots offered at the three Grand Slams so far this year. Only Ashley Barty and Karolina Mukova have made a quarterfinal at two of the three events. Only Iga Sviantek has made the fourth round of all three events. That's the parody in a nutshell, right? And to have all of that parody and yet in the end come out with these four as the final four, this is the blessing. The tennis gods were like, we know we robbed you of Wimbledon last year. Enjoy this one this year. Yeah, absolutely. This is, again, it, it feels right, which is really nice to see. And, you know, Kerber, obviously, as you tweeted out earlier today, getting it done with those 10 consecutive matches for the fourth time. Um, Barty 100% deserves to be there. And then it's nice to be able to see Pliskova because I think so many times have we asked the question of, oh, what's going on with Pliskova? Is it ever going to happen? And so, look, even if it doesn't happen in this one, because now she's going up against three other really deserving semifinalists, it, it, we're in a spot where it just feels right. And, and so you're, you're absolutely right. Completely different from the French Open where it was just the dead opposite of this. This is a sort of a, a good swing in the other direction for me. And, and it doesn't feel boring, right? It just feels deserved. I had this conversation with you before we started recording. I've had this conversation with other people I talk to in the tennis world. It just feels, to your point, it just feels right that in the Grand Slam where A – no grass court season in 2020. I could have made a legitimate case. I still think I can that Ludmilla Samsonova had one of the 10 best grass court seasons in 2021. Now that she's a top 10 player in the w- on the WTA Tour, but that she had one of the 10 best grass court seasons here in 2021. But, you know, with, with no grass court season in 2020, with the development we've seen in players like Sviantek, like a Sonia Kennan who made multiple Grand Slam finals last year, like, you know, again, the lack of an Osaka and how healthy was Barty, Muguruza, what's her level going to be, On Jabur and Barbara Krejcikova, so many players making breakthroughs over these past 15 months of play uh, to end up again with Karolina Pliskova in the semifinals. It just feels right that when everyone had probably finally written her off and listeners of this podcast know you and I in particular, we were some of the last hangers on of the Pliskova bandwagon. How many prediction podcasts, how many preview podcasts at slams in a row did we do where we were like, you know what? This is going to be the one she makes the finals at. You know what? This is going to be the slam she makes the finals at. You know what? The draw has just broken open for her. And then whether it was a fourth round loss, quarterfinal loss, or first week loss, she just wasn't able to come through. She's done it in such routine fashion this week, and she's managed to stay under the radar the whole time. I think for her, and you could say a lot of those things for Sabalenka as well, that's been the biggest blessing of the uncertainty in this event, right? That there wasn't additional pressure on so many of these players because, perhaps except for Barty, because we had no idea what was going to happen, and we've seen some of these best players play their best tennis because of that fact. Yeah, I, 100%. I think when it goes to the Plushkova side, yeah, we, we've talked about that a lot. And I guess if we keep saying it, hopefully it just happens one of these times. But again, <laughs> does, does that make us 
does that make us good predictors, at least uh, in regard to Plushkova breaking through? No. Um, but it is nice to kind of see that come through because, you know, she has the game. It's just can you put it together for multiple matches in a row? And, you know, this is sort of where we can get into this. But throughout this tournament, she has. I mean, just has not dropped a set. The last few rounds has just looked, I mean, invincible, essentially. And granted, she's playing somebody today who – in my opinion, that should have been Madison Keys, and you kind of started to pencil that in. But regardless, she goes out and wins routinely, wins a two and two match to, to set up um, the blockbuster against uh, Arena Sabalenka. So really fun stuff, and uh, again, good for Plushkova. That's I, I think that's 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 what needs to be said about her and her appearance in this semi. That's a fascinating name. 2016-2017 Madison Keys held the belt for player you expect to win a Grand Slam in the most in the nearest future, right? She was in competition for that on the women's side. I may have to write a piece out of this. Who were the players who held the belt? Certainly, I feel like on the women's side, Pliskova, I mean, Halep had it forever sure. until she handed it to Pliskova. Before gave her, it to, probably Wozniacki was talking about a good all the one. time. Exactly. And then, you know, they gave it over to Pliskova, who quickly gave it to Keys 2017, who then was like, no, 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 Pliskova, take it back, please. And she's like, okay, fine. Um, I don't know. After Pliskova, I mean, is it Sabalenka now? Like, is that the next one we're waiting for? Certainly, there are a lot of good young players who have had a lot of success who have yet to get over that slam finish line. But I think for Sabalenka, and maybe Svitolina had a cup of coffee there as well. But I think on the women's side, there's a lot of names that qualify, but... I don't, is it Pliskova or Sabalenka who's got it right now? I probably I – mean, I don't know. It's got to be Pliskova. She's just been around for longer. Sabalenka has yeah. really come on you know, strong as of late, obviously younger, and, and so that sort of changes the dynamic. But it's, again, pretty, somewhat similar, I guess you could say, depending on, on how this breaks. But with Wozniacki, was talked about for so long, then kind of written off, then you know, won one in 2018, retired only, what, a couple years after that win at the Aussie, mm-hmm. and then Halep got, got that one. She got her first in 2018, I believe, too. So – um, just right after after Wozniacki won her. So look, there's always going to be a couple that you're talking about, you know, simultaneously. But Pliskova definitely been at the top of that list for a long, long time. And and again, this is far from over, right? She has to get through some really, really strong competition if she wants um, a legitimate shot at this. But yeah, again, just just good to see her not like folding in a bad third round loss, right? It's good to see her showing that true form and, and getting to the semis and in really strong fashion. That's the exciting part as you look for Carolina Pliskova at this point of her career. Turned 29 earlier this season. Again, dropped out of the top 10 for the first time in five years. The fashion that she's done this with, she's yet to drop a set at this event. She's playing her best tennis, and she hadn't done that earlier in the season. It's fantastic to see her do so now. To end the tangent, last thought. Men's side, the first person I think you and I of our generation who had this title was Andy Murray. It was the Andy Murray Memorial Belt until 2012 U.S. Open where, glorious day. We don't have to revisit it here. We all know what happened in that five-set final against Novak Djokovic. No one expected Wawrinka to win his slams, but he did. Cup of coffee with Delpo, but he won his pretty early. Chilich got one. No one expected that. Who had the men's side belt after that? Team, certainly before he won his. I think we all would agree it's the trio of Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, and maybe Berrettini as well, who have it right now. In between that time of span, from Andy Murray to Dominic Team, was it Nishikori? 
Like, was it Dimitrov? Was it Rayanich? Or is the real problem that no one really had that belt during that stretch of time? I don't know. I mean, first of all, on the team side, he still got half a belt. Like, win one, win <laughs> one when the big guns are playing, and one of them doesn't, you know, hit a lines person in the throat, right? Like, I don't know. That that one still feels weird to me. But no, before that, I, I think at least for me, you, you go through the Vavrenka one. Um, you know, he was able to make his really successful runs, and I mean, yeah, showed up 2014, 2015, 2016. He just he just did what needed to be done. Um, I think Dimitrov was probably the one for me, right? He had those good runs. He got up to three in the world. He won the Tour Finals, um, and, and so again, this is where we get into that lost generation discussion. In general, uh, Raonic certainly had his uh, shot. Maybe if he's healthy, he's got a shot at Wimbledon. But uh, you can name sort of a rotating cast in that lost generation. But I think everyone has agreed. Uh, the focus has now shifted to the younger, the younger guys, the Zverev, the Medvedev, those that you listed. So um, always interesting to think about. But yeah, I, I guess generally for that time frame, I'd have to say Dimitrov just because there was so much hype around his game, um, you know, for right or wrong, talking about the similarities to Fed, um, his athleticism. Again, the fact that he did get up to three in the world, won a big event like the Tour Finals. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say probably Dimitrov. I think it's just all, it's just such a different conversation because you've had those top three just lock everything down for so long now. It's just it's a completely different discussion uh, on the WTA where it seems like almost anyone could win outside of the you know the stretch where Serena was just so dominant. Mm-hmm. See, this is what happens when we haven't talked tennis in a while. We're going to get off on a tangent. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, post, yeah, post-Murray, did Burdich two finals, Ferrer one, Sanga one. Who wore it longest? I think, like, if we're being honest, Burdich came closest, and I think Burdich's ceiling was higher than the other two guys. He definitely flirted with that belt for a hot second. Yeah, it's definitely true. Um, and I mean, I think if you asked Burdich, he would definitely say <laughs> that he should have won him. I mean, that's that's just who Burdich is. He would is, point but... to his like Paris Masters and be like, see, when everything was equal at the end of the year, I was the best. And it's exactly. like, that's not how it works. Well, and it's like, look, I mean, you think about Raonic and, you know, that 2016 is really where he had that run and, you know, Ended up falling short to your boy Murray there in that final. He, he's made the semis of the Aussie that same year. You know, 2016 was a good one. And, you know, I, look, Ranich was in there. He, he When he's healthy, he can compete with anybody, especially on the fast surface like grass. But, yeah, Burdich, definitely. Uh, there, there's a lot of people in that era who are going to be disappointed they never got one, and it's because of the domination of those big three guys. It's just, uh, you know, think about how many you know people would have their names in the history books if it weren't for them just locking down every single slam year after year after year. It's, um, it's exceptional. But, again, tangent, tangent, tangent. I know. I'm debating if I want to open up Pandora's box and if we actually have the debate. Is David Ferrer in a vacuum a good enough player to be a multi-time Grand Slam champion? Like maybe he could have snuck out a French Open, but would he have actually won multiple slams if the big three weren't uh, in existence? I like I can't defend. Uh, anyways, I can't definitively say yes to that question, but I suppose that's a tangent for another time. I would say yeah because he reached the semis of Aussie and US multiple times, and he got to the final in the French. So probably. Yeah, I, I mean, again, he's very good. He's very, very good. Um, so certainly, 
uh, the Hall of Fame debate is one we've had before. It's one we will have on a different time. But with all of that in mind, hot intro here on today's Mini Break podcast. Of course, again, as we mentioned at the top, we are going to get into today's quarterfinals round in the Lady Singles Draw. We are going to preview tomorrow's Day 9 day nine matches, that is correct, at Wimbledon, the men's quarterfinals side as well. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Tennis Point. You guys already know the deal. Summertime update your equipment. It is the best gear at the best prices. Tennis Dashpoint, the symbol, not the spelling. Tennis Dashpoint.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, Jamie, let's get into today's quarterfinal matches. And the place we have to start, because it is a Cracked Rackets podcast, and every so often, not every so often, I dictate the outlines of these shows. So you know we're starting with Sabalenka making her first semifinal at a Grand Slam in her career. You look for her today. was a straight set victory over Own Jabour, 6-4-6-3. She was our single match, uh, match money line pick on yesterday's GSP Ace of the Day to knock off Jabour. You look at their track record. Sabalenka was 1-1 one one against Jabour in her career, but the one match she lost, a three-set thriller in Paris, the one match she won. Comfortable straight set victory. Her numbers constant in that match. Jabour's success on serve is what wavered. All of that is to say... Coming into the match, we knew Sabalenka had the power advantage and that she had the sort of, dare I say, fuck you, firepower that would just disrupt the plays of Own Jabour. And Jamie, you are our slicing expert here at Cracked Rackets, the forefather of the forehand slice. It's a lot more difficult to hit those slices, a lot more difficult to attempt to hit drop shot returns when you've got 120 to 130 mile per hour bombs coming at you as first serves to when you hang a second server, you just leave an attackable serve in the box. That first return is coming at you flat and deep at your feet. That sort of firepower that Arena Sabalenka has, and we've talked about it before, should she ever win a slam, she will immediately be inducted into Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club. It was on display today. Halfway through that first set, she realized, okay, this match is on my racket, and the most impressive thing was to see the poise with which she executed her game plan and ultimately got the job done. Yeah, I, I was really impressed. I mean, Sabalenka, the start of this match, um, you know, so dicey for Sabalenka getting through that service game. Jabor was putting really good pressure on her from the start. And so I, I did expect this to be more of a battle than it was. And, and I think that just speaks to Sabalenka being able to sort of calm things down right out of the gate. And then just like you said, realize, hey, this is on my racket and play smart tennis, dictate well, trust her, you know, first strike brand. And she, she did it really well. You know, I, I again, when I first tuned into this match at the beginning, I was like, oh boy, we are in for a roller coaster. And then, you know, it really didn't end up being that one. You know, I mean, it was a somewhat close scoreline, but quick match. Um, Sabalenka took care of business. Onjabor, you know, had some chances, really didn't do enough uh, protecting her own second serve. But Sabalenka, I mean, just kept things, like you said, on her racket, dictated, ran Jabor around, really didn't give her the option to introduce all of that creativity and variety. Um, and, you know, awkward way of putting pressure on opponents Sabalenka just in some cases said hey you're going to give me this ball I'm going to blow you off the court and so that's 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 the Sabalenka that we've come to know and and again really good to see her be able to put it um, on display against a player like Jabor who's had so much success as of late and who's looked really good 
that first game where Sabalenka managed to hold felt so critical, right? Sure. In oh, that yeah. first set. Big time. It just felt like her ability to get over that hump, some early match adversity, just helped her settle in. And I mentioned this on yesterday's mini break podcast, but there was a look on her face after reaching the quarterfinals for the first time, a relief where she, you know, because Rabakina pushed her. And I actually think for Sabalenka, what made that match so winnable against Rabakina was how simple the match was. It was, all right, if I leave a ball in the center of the court, I'm going to be punished. So don't do that. Focus on the first strike. Stay locked in on the serve. It's so critical. And when her first serve lands, it's a, it's a top five serve on tour. And of course, she's a member of the top 15 club, top 15 in both hold percentage and break percentage. And Jamie, I've started joking around with our listeners that every time I bring up the top 15 club, just take a shot right away. And they're hammered by the end of the pod. Um, but look, Shabur's a top 15 member club as well. And uh, both of these players have broad skill sets. The difference being Sabalenka's power-based, Shabur's is craft-based. And you look for Sabalenka, the power won out. She made of her first serves, won 83% of her first serve points, 34 of of 41 on first serve points. Jabour, when she had the opportunity to get into her plays, made 65% of her first serves, good number, won 74% of her first serve points, good number, but was 7 of 23 on second serve points. Jabour was, and you know, to be fair, Sabalenka only won 41% of her first, uh, of her second serve points, but the two keys, first serve points, Sabalenka was winning more of them than Jabour was. Second serve return points, Sabalenka was making winning more of them than Jabour was. And that's where the easy power came in in this match. You know, Sabalenka, 27 winners against 20 unforced errors. Jabour was still pretty good, 22 winners against 11 unforced errors. But I do wonder how many forced errors there were in this match. How many ra- uh, balls Jabour got her racket on but were unreturnable from Sabalenka. You watched this match. It felt like there were a bunch of them. And now Sabalenka's into the semifinals. And, you know, again, I, I, another stat I've mentioned repeatedly. You look for her now 51-15 and 15 in her last 52 weeks, Jamie. She's winning over 77% of her matches. Fif- of those 15 losses, 13 of the 15 have been at uh, three-set matches. You're going to see 30 exceptional minutes from Arena Sabalenka in every match. The question is, can she extend that period, or will she go into one of those 10-minute stretch where she loses you know, five games in 10 minutes because she makes three total balls? Of yeah. late, she's minimized those. Your thoughts, again, in the context, her performance, I felt like she minimized them today. The question is, can that steadiness carry over as the pressure intensifies? Yeah, I mean, of course, that's that's the big question. And I think it just comes down to, you know, being able to attack at almost every opportunity, right? And look, if she starts spraying balls, then yeah, you, you got to go to plan B and seeing how she can sort of rein things in, um, you know, get the rhythm back and, and then start to push harder again. But I mean, today just looks so clean, especially attacking that Jabour second serve and just not giving her any room to breathe, right? There there was no safety that Jabour had. And look, Jabour didn't do poorly on that first serve, got a decent percentage in, won a decent percentage. But anytime it was a second serve, you know, I think it was in her head by the end of the match that Sabalenka was coming for her right um that's how she created those break point opportunities that's how she converted the multiple breaks um and look there are only a two break difference in this match uh three breaks total on the sabalenka side and one on the jabor side but 
that's enough to get it done. And Sabalenka, with her game style, she knows at this point, she knows what she has to do, right? It, it, it's very clear cut. And sure, the matchup changes a little bit by player, but at the end of the day, that's, that's where she can have some confidence and belief is because she knows what she has to do point to point, right? And she knows that her best brand um, is this power tennis where she does not let her opponents breathe. And being able to attack on the second serve return the way she did uh, is really promising stuff as she tries to, to make this sort of Wimbledon title run now. Her backhand's elite. We can say it now comfortably. That uh, The way she swings through that side, we agree? Elite? Yeah. No, 100. And then you look at the serve, win landing, first serve, elite. Her, But I think the, the best part of her game is actually the sneaky skill set. It's the fact that really powerful first step, better mover than you would expect. I mean, for mm-hmm. someone, let's be honest, of her size, she moves really, really well and just – you know, it's not just that. She actually – I mean this is what gets her into trouble because she can do it and sometimes she tries when she shouldn't. But like pretty good touch, like pretty good volleyer, doubles Grand Slam champion, can play drop shots occasionally as well to throw in the off speed. Will throw up the 20-foot over the net shot as de- for defensive tennis as well. Like that's the sneaky part is that the power is overwhelming but she's not bad at the other things either. Yeah, exactly. And and it's just up to her to know, you know, what's necessary. And look, I think those are great things to be able to fall back on. And again, this is really where different matchups come into play. You know, Mm -hmm. looking at the different people left in this draw, if you have to pull a bit of the crafty and the variety out, that's great. But if somebody's giving you some rhythm, I mean, you you know what Sabalenka should be doing. She's going to be stepping in and ripping the ball and and looking to play that sort of, you know, power tennis that that, that we've come to know the last couple of years in particular. So now this was this was really clean from her side of the court. And, you know, if you're her, you really can't you really can't hope for anything better than, than this match, especially against someone like Jabor, who has been in really, really good form. Sabalenka just simply was the better player by, uh, you know, a good margin and, and got it done. Well, and this is a take that's been brewing for me. And please, listeners, at Great Shot Pod, if you agree, disagree, let me know, because this is one I really do. I'm curious to hear people's thoughts. I think the best rivalry in women's tennis right now is Barty Sabalenka, and we've seen them play a couple of times this season. Sabalenka knocked her off once on the clay. I believe Barty's beaten Sabalenka twice so far this year. You could argue Sabalenka versus anyone's the best rivalry, but Sabalenka Barty in particular because Barty is athletic enough and strong enough to handle the pace of Sabalenka. She's got a big enough weapon in her serve, her first forehand, to keep Sabalenka on her back foot. On the flip side, Sabalenka's serve just gives Barty's backhand troubles. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. When she's landing first serves to that back end, she has the opportunity to attack. If you give Sabalenka opportunities to attack, that is a nightmare. That might, I, Not only is that, I think, the best rivalry, that's my favorite rivalry. Like, that one, I mean, the, there are a couple with potential to be really, really special, but I think that's the one for me right now, Jamie. Like, I am, I know they're the one and two seeds. It's not a hot take to say, oh, like, I hope they match up in the finals, but from a contrast perspective, that like that matchup fascinates me. Yeah, I mean, again, there are players who have been at the top of the game for the last couple of years, so it's it's natural. I mean, I think there's yeah, there's there's ever. I mean, there's there's a rotating cast of players you could put in there, but yeah, I mean, Sabalenka and Barty, especially for what you just mentioned and that clash of styles, is is always going to be interesting. Um, you know, I think you, you start to wonder how that plays out if they do end up playing for this title. And um, again, it, it comes into it comes into this conversation where, hey, they know each other, right? They've played multiple times. They understand each other's game. They understand the dynamic of how the match, you know, 
probably should go. And so it's up to each player to deviate from that um, to try and get the little advantages. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, look, if Sabalenka is playing the power tennis and everything's falling, there might not be that much Barty can do, right? She can pr- try to protect the serve. She can try to throw off the rhythm with the slice, the other crafty things that she can do and, and try to throw Sabalenka off, get her out of the strike zone. But at the end of the day, I mean, Sabalenka knows that when she's playing pretty much anybody, um, it's going to be on her racket and she's going to be able to dictate most of the points in a match. And so, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it, it's not a bad take. I mean, I think there's just, especially with how the game is right now, there's so many different head to heads you can look at it and point out as interesting, but especially in the context of, of this Wimbledon where they're both still alive as the one and two seeds, hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, again, we've uh, talked about uh, Arena Sabalenka, and that's why she's so dangerous, because when she plays her best tennis, it's on her racket, it's on her terms. And, you know, again, I think for for uh, her in this match against an own Jabour, and just quick exercise for you, Jamie, and then I promise we're moving on to the next match, because I think, and oh, by the way, what I was going to say is, you know, I'm not, we're going to jinx Sabalenka, totally. You're going to see one of those bad performances we talk about in the semifinals, now that we've praised her so much. The good news is her and Pliskova both carry so many jinxes on their shoulders that I actually think we're going to get them both playing their best tennis, that the gods are going to be like, wait, like, I guess we really don't care who wins, so, like, go for it. Like, do your thing, both of you. Um, But, you know, to put the bow on Jabour, because she won her first title in Eastbourne, 45-18 and in her last 52, currently number 24, but with her quarterfinal, and this is the biggest joke, she's up to number 23 now, which is a new career high, but, like, Come on. Own Jabour, you listen to that record, the success she's had, the multiple quarterfinals she's made both at the slams and at high-level events, multiple rounds of 16s at the slams as well. It's fascinating because you look at the rankings like here's the top – here are the top 20 players I think she might have stronger cases then. Pa- just yes or no. Let's do this exercise quickly for Jabour. But who should be top 20? Her, Pavlochenkova. Yeah, I mean, Jabour, obviously, with that Birmingham title, you know, fresh in our minds as well. Yeah, owns Jabour. I, I agree. Her Sakari. Mm, in the context of, like, very recent, maybe No, of everything. Everything. Last 52 weeks. Even, right? You say they both belong. Yeah, I'd say they both belong there. Her Rabakina. I'd say they both belong. I'd say they both belong there, but, yeah, again, a little recency bias just for me with Jabour. But, yeah. So again, uh, those are your 18, 19, 20. Pavlochenkova right now, probably the strongest case. You look at other players in the top 20, I would mention Bencic. And I guess like maybe Pliskova, probably Pliskova before this run, and Serena. Like that's it. Those are the three other names. And their peaks are probably still higher than own Jabours, except for maybe Bencic at this point. But like that's how stiff the competition is in the top 20 right now, Jamie. Yeah, it's hard to break in. And, and of course, when you do have these, uh, <laughs> when you've had these weird Grand Slams that just sort of completely crumble based on the draw, you have players who are making crazy inroads to the top 20 who you don't expect. And it just makes it even that much harder for the other players who are consistently around to, to break in there if they don't have those unreal runs um, in the Grand Slams. Now, granted, could those players fall out the very next year by not protecting those huge point totals? Absolutely. But it just makes everything, that rotating cast, even harder to, to break in when you've got the consistent ones who show up year-round and then also the crazy breakthroughs. It just uh, it makes it makes for a tough dynamic. 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you, and it's worth noting, despite her ranking being 23, Own Jabour's ELO rating, Jamie, uh, currently inside the top 15 for both overall and 2021. Tough to say she's a top 10 player. She belongs in the top 20. She's in the conversation in every event she plays to make some sort of run. Just such a well-rounded skill set, such a good athlete, translates across surface. Great first half, really, first two-thirds, whatever, of the season for her. Uh, the seal for Onjabur has been set. We now know what her prime can look like, and we're excited to see it continue to unfold. But the reason we wanted to, I, I suppose I wanted to do so long on Sabalinka Jabur is you look outside of that match, the other three were relatively straightforward. And the next one we can start with is Angelique Kerber versus Karolina Mukova. Again, pretty dominant performance from Kerber in this match. She ends up taking it 6-2-6-3, makes 61% of her first serves, wins 68% of those points, 54% of her second serve points, uh, saves 7 of the 8 break points she faces, 15 winners against 21 unforced errors, but Mukova was only able to hit 9 winners against 27 unforced errors. Kerber's locked in physically right now, and obviously she's in the Final Four, so the answer to can she win this question is yes. But in terms of her highest level right now, I guess here's the question I'd posit to you, because I'd argue this was pretty close to that highest level you're going to see. Certainly, she's been battle-tested, uh, the win over Goff, the win over Cerebez Tormo. She played a three-set match, was it Sasnovich, I believe, in between those two as well. Mm-hmm. She's hardly been tested. Ca- hardly, counts, hardly counts as a three-setter, but yes. Yeah, it was what, 266160, right? Or something crazy. one, yeah. Yeah, something crazy like that. The question and how I want to pose it to you, because respectfully to Carolina Mukova, who again, one of two players to have made two Grand Slam quarterfinals this year, who does have another really well-rounded skill set. I'd say she plays a little bit more aggressive than Own Jabour, but two players who hang out in the same realm in terms of quality and well-roundedness of games. Kerber's just locked in physically right now. And I think that's the thing that's been so surprising. Again, fourth 10-match win streak uh, of her career. The first one came, I believe, in 2006 at the ITF level to do it 15 years later, to do it at a Grand Slam event as well after no grass court play in 2020. Is her peak right now, Jamie, high enough to beat a peaking Barty, a peaking Sabalenka, a peaking Pliskova? Because I think we may see all of them hopefully play their best tennis this weekend. Yeah, I mean, perhaps. I don't know if this is a. I don't know if I'd. Re- I don't know if I'd say this is a peaking Barty. Um, it, it's a. She good hasn't Barty. peaked yet. You're right, but it's, I think it's that's a good why. Barty, no doubt. You're right, but I think the prospect for her to play like that's why I think Barty's so scary because sure. she hasn't played her best match yet, and like it's still in there physically. Yeah, and, she's gotten better, and we'll get to this. She did look really solid today. Obviously, you yeah. know, she just. She had more on her side of the net. She like she this this was a hard one to see her losing in any sort of um, scenario, and she just I don't know. I feel like Tomlanovic was just a bit outgunned in this one, but uh, no. Regardless, Kerber is playing really well. I mean, I think that lead up of it. This is one where it's it, <laughs> we talked about this on the preview pod and why I was so high on Kerber and was like, well, I hope I'm not reading too much into a lead up of it. But Kerber has backed that up. Um, you know, the win over Kvitova in the semis of of the lead-up event in Bad Homburg was really impressive. Then crushing um, Sinyakova to win that. She's just carried that momentum momentum through. Uh, Mukova, a really strong player. Kerber just dismantles her two and three. And so now, I mean, she's got the confidence. Winnable match for sure. I mean, Barty probably still enters the favorite. There's just so much she can do. But Kerber looking really, 
really good right now. And at this point, look, she's been on this stage before. She's obviously very comfortable at the moment. Again, she had a really tight second round match. And then that third round was just kind of a goofy one where she had a bad first set. Um, Looks strong against Goff even stronger against Mook. I mean, this this is just really good stuff from Angelique Kerber. So 100% dangerous. And now that we're to the semis, absolutely has a chance to win this thing. So um, it, it's going to be fun to see her continue to sort of push the envelope here as she goes up against Ash Barty. Uh, we'll be interested to see how, how it plays out. Obviously, Kerber... Again, I'm glad I picked her to come out of this section. Some wacky stuff that I did not expect did happen in that section, but ultimately Kerber over Goff, Kerber over what turned into the mook of a match in the quarters. She's look, she's just looked so good, right? And she capitalized on her opportunities. Those break points only got a handful of them, but was able to get the, you know, get most of them across the finish line against Mukova so effective against that Mukova second serve. And, and I think if she is able to continue to pressure her opponent's second serve in that way, she can win this tournament. Uh, that's just the way it is. Her discipline, her patterns, her ability to use that first return, and she doesn't blitz it like Sabalenka does, but she places it with such depth, such precision, and then you're just on a string, and she's yo-yoing you around the court. And, you know, Jamie, as someone who's also five foot four, you can sympathize with the discipline that that takes and just, again, how locked in physically you have to be. I thought you were going to jump on me. I'm surprised you didn't. I was... That was a low-hanging fruit for you. That was a 76-mile-per-hour second-serve kick serve for you to just slam, and you didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm being the bigger person here. And, I think uh, you'll get me back in the manscape, Dad. I think that's where you'll have your swing well, at me. your 6'3", 130-pound frame is uh, <laughs> quite frightening to me. But, I'll, again, I, I feel like for your self-esteem, i got to let you have one. So you say 76 miles per hour on the second serve is a generous reading of your second serve. Um, which we would played also... one time, and I wasn't trying out of shape. Oh, I, would, I would crush you. You act doors. like I was playing Roger Federer-esque precision locked in like it was 2006 Wimbledon. Um, uh, I would... I would work you, and it's not close. But anyway, continue. Although I'm scared of your club tennis prowess, yeah. No, let me be clear. You played college tennis. There is no doubt you are better than me. I would just like to make that abundantly clear. But I think you already know I know that. Um, That's great. But I also think you think you would dust me, and that could not be further from the case. But that's a story for another time. Now you're now you're sounding like Blake Burstein, who thinks he could go out on the court and beat me. All I have to say again, Blake, if you're listening, uh, that ain't happening, bud. (laughs) Anyways, Angelique Kerber, the discipline she's playing with, she's just locked in, and she's won this event. She's made the finals of this event. She's had a lot of success at Wimbledon. I think that bodes well for this second week, given all of the uncertainty, given we don't know what all these players are going to look like as the pressure rises, as we come down the home stretch. We know what Kerber's going to look like, and it's very, very good. Now, she's obviously got a huge test next against Barty, but a lefty, you think that's interesting given the slice backhand. Although, again, does Kerber have a big enough weapon to hit through Barty? That's my issue is the way Barty has looked locked in physically, even if the ground strokes aren't landing at the rhythm and precision she normally has, physically she's fine. Like, that, she is not yeah. injured, and she just finds so many different ways to win. Even if this match looks like the Cerebas tormo match, I just think Barty's going to do a better job of pulling off that game style. And ultimately, you know, Cerebas tormo came so close at that point, Kerber will have played, what, she's she's won 10 consecutive matches, but it's been 10 matches in like 13 days. I just think Barty's a tough test. Yeah, I mean, look, this is going to be a really tough test uh, on all fronts, but I think really where it comes, you know, to be really, really tough is mentally, Barty is going to make Kerber really question how to play the match. 
mm-hmm. you know, because Kerber, like you said, is she going to be able to hit through her? I don't know. Is she going to be able to hang in with her, you know, grinding wise? Barty can hit a slice backhand all day. So it, it's tough, right? And it's going to put a lot of pressure on Kerber to change her game style and adapt accordingly because we know that Ash Barty can throw all the variety in the world and really mess with her opponent in that regard. So a tough matchup for Kerber, 100%, because Barty is one of those people who's going to give her all the looks, is going to make Kerber be the one um, on an offensive position sometimes than a defensive on her back. So it's going to be all over the place for Kerber, but she's looked so strong. It's it's tough to doubt her at this point, but Barty, I mean, look, I could see either player winning that match. Barty's going to go in the favorite, but Kerber looked really good. And, you know, I think at this point in her career, the lead up event and now this tournament, because of some of the past results we've seen from her in the big tournaments, not that much pressure on her shoulders. And so she's got to be feeling really, really good at this point because was she expecting to go this far? I mean, maybe with the lead up tournament, but prior to that, I don't think anybody was really talking about her as a serious contender. And, and now look, here we are. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said. She was not someone who was a top 10 or even top 15 non-grass court ELO player. The advanced metrics not kind to her. Certainly some of her numbers coming into this event, I believe she's top 35 in both hold and break percentage, but she's not top 10 in any individual category right now. And, you know, but we all know a peaking Kerber can win Grand Slam. She's peaking at exactly the right moment. And now she obviously faces the test of all tests. And again, everything we said about Jabour can apply to Mukova. When she's locked in, she just is going to get to second weeks of Grand Slams because of all of the different things she can do. But now Kerber's going to take on Ashley Barty. Again, not much to add about today's victory. It was a 1-3 victory over Tomjanovich. The first serve was landing for Barty. She was having success when it did, even just for Tomjanovich, who is another player who would have top 40 numbers in both hold and break percentage, but wouldn't be even top 30 in anything if she was a top 50 player. She can do a little bit of everything, but she doesn't have that overwhelming weapon, and unless you have that, eventually, Barty's going to find her rhythm. She found it early in this match. She was ready for this in environment for this stage is Ashley Barty again you you sort of referred to it earlier you don't think she's playing her best tennis yet but do you have any concerns about her physically and is she playing well enough to win this event you know she's playing well enough to win the event I mean but look she lost four games today and was broken twice so I mean the serve clearly isn't like quite where it needs to be I mean look she was able to make those up by breaking so many times in such a short span but and again, as we talked about with the other winners, being able to apply so much pressure on the serve, particularly the second serve um, of Timlanovic. At this point, yeah, Barty's playing well enough to win the event. It's as simple as that. Physically, she's fine. She's been on the stage before. She's the one seed. I don't have any concerns there. But the fact that she was broken a couple times today, even though it was such a straightforward match, when she's playing somebody who is a bit more of a threat um, and is used to being on this stage, like an Angelique Kerber, um, you see some danger there. And look, that could be one of those matches where it just breaks back and forth like crazy and comes down to a coin flip of of who's able to hold consistently. Uh, That's a real possibility. But Barty, 100% playing playing well enough to win. Yeah, I would echo all of your sentiments. I would say that you know, her skill set has always fit so well on these grass courts, and she hasn't won a Wimbledon, but she's won multiple WTA titles on the surface. She's made deep runs at slams before for the other half, you know, for Sabalenka, for Pliskova. They've always gotten uncomfortable in this stage, so certainly she's got an edge up there. Now, again, Kerber's won Wimbledon. You can't say that about Ashley Barty, but 
There's just a poise to Barty. She never gets too flustered, only shows that immense excitement once the finish line has been crossed and she's won that final point in. She just seems locked in right now. Like, she just seems like, in her mind, that French Open title was hers to win, and she just got injured. And she's trying to make up for it here. Like, you can see that. I don't know if it's a body language thing, but it just does feel like there's a purpose to everything Ashley Barty's doing on court. And that's always been the case, but she's sustained it particularly well through these first five matches. Again, from just a matchup standpoint, I know Kerber will go down the line, force Barty to move side to side, but I just don't think she's got a big enough weapon to hurt Barty with. I think this match is on Barty's racket, and that's just ne- you can never leave the match on Ashley Barty's racket because she's steady enough always to get the job done. Yeah, I I don't know. To me, I think it's just going to come down to a, a weird chess game of, of who's going to be attacking in what sort of positions because both these players can attack when they need to. Obviously, they look a little bit different when they're attacking. Um, both can defend incredibly well. They've played each other multiple times. Again, you know, it's it's spanning back a few years, but I think Angie, yeah, Angie Kerber actually leads um, their head-to-head, so I don't think there's going to be too much of an issue in terms of the mental you know, aspect for Kerber. She knows she can win this match, and it's just a matter of, it's just a matter of figuring out how you're going to get it done, right? There's, there's different ways to go about it, um, and again, I think a lot of these points are going to look very different. I don't think this is going to be a straightforward, every point's going to look similar, and it's a matter of who runs the playbook. I think it's going to be a matter of switching up the playbook and who can get the pl- other player um, out of more, out of the rhythm more. I think that's what it's going to come down to. Both of these players know how to win on the big stage, so I, to me, it, it's a coin flip. It's a complete coin flip for me. Yeah, it should be really, really fun. I think Barty right now like a minus 220 favorite. But, mm. uh, of course, that semifinal number one, the other semifinal, Rena Sabalenka, going to be taking on Carolina Pliskova. And we talked about it a bit at the beginning. So, you know, this match against Victoria Golubic, straightforward 2-2 two and two victory for Pliskova. Pliskova has yet to drop a set. And I do – we're not going to get to Golubic 47-19 in our last 52. I celebrated her on the last uh, podcast post-Manic Monday. But you look for – Pliskova, who, you know, 26 and 17 now in her last 52, four of those losses to Jess Pagula, lost to Sviantek, lost to Barty, lost to Halep. You know, there are a couple of good losses mixed in there, but has struggled this season outside of her wins at Rome. Uh, you know, uh, Rome and uh, really that's been the only event where she's made a semifinal run until this Wimbledon over the last 52 weeks. And, you know, again, her ability it's because she's not the best mover. She's always had to be creative. And her ability to scoop balls as ground strokes is almost half volleys from the baseline when her opponents hit depth. And while it has been an ideal draw, Zdanzik, Vekic, Martinsova, Samsonova, Golubic, no seeds until this semifinal round. She's taking care of business. Like, her closest match was Zdanzik 5-4 and four round one. After that, the closest set she's played has been 6-3. Her serve, her ability to play plus one, she's someone who, because she's uh, on the run uh, often and has to hit a bailout shot, bailout down the lines, which are so crucial to hit on a grass court, it's one of her best shots. That's a shot she's got in her bag. Your thoughts on her level? Again, if she plays her best and Sabalenka plays her best, is Pliskova's best good enough to win? Like, I think it is. I think it just comes down to a couple of tie breaks. 
Yeah, no, it, it, it is it is good enough to win. And I think the most promising thing for me, instead of just being individual matches, is the consistency from match to match. Mm-hmm. Um, Plushkova, with her game style, obviously there's going to be some unforced errors. That's just how it is. Uh, there's going to be points where she doesn't quite get to that ball, is a little bit late, a step behind. That Again, that's how it is, and, and we know that from watching her. But for her to come match in, match out, not take a set off, really show up and take care of business, to, to me that's more promising than, than anything else about you know something I've seen in the quarterfinal round or round of 16 anything like that to me it's just been the consistency with which she's approached every individual set uh, has been really awesome to see and something that we've been waiting to see regardless of the opponent because how many times have we seen push of losses that have nothing to do with the opponent mm-hmm. it's on her side of the court and so she's taking care of business on her side of the net and, and, and that's just the important part at this point now the equation becomes very different because you gotta worry about the Sabalenka side, right? The first time, as you mentioned, the first time she's going up against a seed, and it is Sabalenka, the two seed in the semi, so a completely different dynamic. But again, the point remains, if she continues to take care of her side of the net, 100% has a shot to win this, no doubt about it. She's playing a better Samsonova. Like, that's the comparison to make, right? Because Arena Sabalenka also in that 5'10 to 6-foot range also hits the snot out of the ball. The difference is Sabalenka's serve, obviously, in a different plane than Samsonova's. Uh, but Pliskova handled the power of Samsonova well, and there were a ton of yes. errors from Samsonova in that match. If Sabalenka can play as a cleaner match, she's going to have more opportunities to attack, and certainly against Sabalenka's level in this tournament, probably better. Although, Samsonova's playing really damn well. She just kind of blinked in that match. I do think I agree with you. I'd agree with everything you said. I think you framed it really well. If Pliskova plays her best tennis, that serve can be dominant. And it's not the tennis she was playing at her best in 2016, 2017, but it's a little bit more efficient now. And I just think she's locked in. I think she senses the opportunity. I think there's a little stress off of her shoulders. Now, now that she's back in this semifinal round, perhaps that stress returns. But she's just played freely this tournament, and that freedom has brought out her best tennis. Money lines for these women's semifinals. Sabalenka minus 205, Pliskova plus 165, Barty minus 220, Kerber plus 175. There are favorites, but they're not prohibitive favorites. They're expecting close matches. I think all of us should as well. Jamie, any final thoughts on the women's side of this 2021 Wimbledon? Yeah, I, I, you know, I just I don't think it's going to be as lopsided as the quarterfinal rounds we saw today. Uh, I think the longest match on today was the two and two from Pliskova at an hour 21. Um, and, you know, that in, in and of itself, that's a little disappointing. But, you know, I can confidently say that a lot of that had to do with the performance of the winners and not just a lapse in the tennis overall. So, again, hoping for a bit more, uh, you know, sort of competitive score lines in the semis and some some grinding matches. But, no, regardless, it's going to be really fun and uh, really excited to see how this Final Four shakes out on the women's side. Futures odds right now, Barty plus 165, Sapalenka plus 240, Kerber plus 280, Pliskova plus 500, Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast, Barty 48.3% chance to win, Kerber 18.2, Pliskova 17.6, Sabalenka 16% chance. Yeah, more than anything else, it's going to be an exciting— and I was, was going to say, if you're looking for big value and, and our field, Pliskova at plus 5, that's not, that's not bad. No, That's not, not bad at all. 
Not bad at all. But Jamie, I'm really happy you talk about speaking of big value because listeners of this podcast knows uh, know we have found the value in our friends at Manscaped who are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. And I will say on a personal front, I didn't realize how important it was to have the correct equipment, to have upgrade equipment when you're doing something as delicate as below-the-waist grooming. But we are fortunate enough to have been sent a couple of products from our friends at Manscaped in person particular they sent us their fourth generation trimmer the lawnmower 4.0 you heard that right the 4.0 and jamie over two million men worldwide trust their below the waist grooming needs to our friends at manscaped if you use our promo code new balls please at manscaped.com you'll get 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping again that's with the code new balls please at manscaped.com i mean you helped set this up jamie you know the deal our friends at manscaped that lawnmower 4.0 gets the job done yeah they know what's up they know what's up and they've got awesome other products too uh i mean again gruskin i don't need to tell you you uh, you already know you already know the deal you're taking full advantage of the partnership uh so it's it's all good stuff for there and again get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code new balls please at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and the promo code new balls please unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with manscaped manscaped.com the promo code is new balls please with that in mind jamie let's preview day uh, nine of this 2021 uh, wimbledon and of course some of these matches may have begun by the time you listeners are hearing this podcast but we do want to run through them briefly here at the end of the pod i rank them one to four in terms of order of my i suppose favorite to least favorite the ones i will be watching most closely to the ones i may just catch the replay of it was a tough choice ultimately i went faa berrettini now i have a brand to stick to i'm the next gen guy those are two next geners born 1996 or later power tennis will be at a premium in that match expect big forehands big serve short rallies aggressive tennis both players trying to move forward But it's the stage for both of them. I think it's so fascinating. FAA into his first quarterfinal at a Grand Slam. If he makes a Slam semifinal before winning an ATP title, that's a fascinating data point. And I do think this run helps him in his quest to end that stat so that the ninth final he makes will be the one he gets over the hump. And again, not even 21 years old, he's had all of this success for him to get to this point of the tournament, for him to come back and, you know, steady the ship and take advantage of a sinking Alex Zverev in that fourth fourth round match this was a breakthrough for him he's playing with house money at this point at the same time FAA is competing for second weeks Berrettini is competing for Grand Slam titles he is my second favorite right now like if anyone's gonna beat Djokovic I think it's the big serving big forehand power tennis of Matteo Berrettini for someone his size to move as well as he does I tweeted it out earlier this week he reminds me of post-injury Delpo only with Delpo's pre-injury movement and athleticism like the the guy's an absolute stud he gets better at his weaknesses with each and every passing match I just think Berrettini's a little bit better at everything that FAA wants to do on a court right now better serve better forehand better fitness better at the net while I think this match is going to be close I think Berrettini ultimately gets over the finish line yeah, I mean, I think Berrettini has to be the favorite. Um, look, I, 
I, I don't know if I'm quite as high on Berrettini to really be a title contender. This, I mean, look, in the context of this, the fact that he's already made the quarters and is a favorite, sure, I'm with you on that one. But generally speaking, in the overall conversation, I mean, the farthest he's gone is a semi at the U.S. Open, and that was a couple years ago. Uh, you know, this quarterfinal run is the farthest he's gotten in a Wimbledon, quarters of the French, fourth of the Australian Open. Obviously, he's on the up and up, right? I mean, he's one of those young guys who is just powerful and is so fun to watch. But again, yes, in the context of this match, I, I agree with you. He is the favorite here for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, it's a little odd for Berrettini, his route to this stage of a tournament has been really really easy i mean you couldn't have asked for a better draw to get to the quarters and now you're playing a guy who just had a complete grind both mentally and physically against an alex Zverev. again it's going to give faa some confidence but berrettini got to be a heavy favorite here for a lot of different reasons and yeah once once this guy gets to the semis um who knows what can be done yeah, I mean, all of the advanced metrics, Berrettini's at career highs in. He's a top six player in both overall ELO 2021, ELO grass court ELO. He won a title in the warm-up to this Wimbledon on grass courts. He's won multiple titles on the surface in his career. His game makes sense on this surface. Uh, and I agree with you for the circumstances for FAA. He's not fresh. He is coming off of that five-set, both physically and mentally draining fourth-round match. I'm leaning Berrettini. I'll ask you for the pick as well. Who you got? Yeah, I, I think Berrettini has to be the pick. Um, he, he's just going to come in fresh. He's going to come in confident. Uh, FAA, again, I, I sort of said this before the, the pod, but and maybe this helps him, but I think a little bit he is he is living on borrowed time here. Um, our, I think Kyrgios would have beaten him had it not been for a classic Kyrgios thing, just not being match shape um, and ready. I mean, Kyrgios was playing better tennis. FAA was kind of on the way out there, got saved, a little lucky. Honestly, against Zverev, Zverev blew two leads in the opening two sets, still came back FAA had chances to go up two breaks in the fifth Zverev gets him back and then just Zverev's um and so look FAA fortunate to be here I would say is the, is the proper way to put it not that he didn't earn it but still a bit of fortune on his side but at this point I think Berrettini has the game to to really um take him down clamp down on the opportunities he's going to be fresh physically I, again I think you just have to lean toward the Italian on this one yeah I agree with everything you've said there moving on to our next match I've got Federer Hercats. That's my upset special of the day. I made a whole case on the GSP ace of the day, so I'm not going to repeat myself again here. I'll just leave it to you. Your pick, your reasoning. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Federer. Um, I, I think this is obviously a huge moment for Hubie Hercats. Uh, granted, we've seen a lot of great things from him over the last couple of years, last year in particular. It's It's been awesome to see this rise. Uh, uh, an awesome win over Medvedev, no doubt about it. Uh, I think Daniil came out a little bit flat when complete, coming out to complete the match today. Um, but, I mean, her catches looked really solid. That win over Bublik, who was in great form, was impressive. Um, the win over Medvedev, obviously a huge one for him. And going up against Fed on center court in this environment, you know, it's just that's just a really tough battle and i think her catch also you know he has he had such a clear path with with medvedev obviously medvedev not giving him quite his best but it's just a completely different game style her catch i don't think is going to be able to take it to federer as much as he was medvedev is going to give you chances to hit balls and, and to be offensive and her catch took advantage of that and was able to execute really well 
it's a different sort of pressure when you're playing against Federer, who's going to constantly put things uh, against you, keep you on your heels. He's going to be the one wanting to take that initiative. Is this a prime Federer? No, not even close. And, and so we don't need to go down that road. Uh, but I think her couch is just going to be a little bit outgunned um, when it comes to the tennis. Uh, and then, of course, the mental side of this just puts a huge edge on the side of Roger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fair case to make. Um, look, he's what won this event eight times. He was eighteen and zero in third round matches, eighteen and zero in fourth round matches. Now I believe he's thirteen and four in quarterfinal matches coming in, into this year's event. Hoobie's dangerous. There's no denying that. And again, if you want to hear my case, go hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed to hear the ace of the day. Match number three, winner takes on the winner, uh, and I should say top half of the draw now because the Berrettini FA, Federer Hercats, the bottom half. We'll start Chapeau and Hatchinov. Hatchinov coming off of the five-set battle against Sebastian Korda. You look for Shapovalov, his best win probably of the season. Straight sets over Roberto Bautista. Good, he's into his second career Grand Slam quarterfinal. Now, the surprising thing for Karen Hatchnov, six round of 16s in his career, only his second quarterfinal at a slam as well. Your thoughts on this one, Jamie? What do you see unfold and who you got? Look, I mean, if, if Shapovalov plays near the tennis that he has in the last couple of rounds, um, I mean, this is lights out. I, I just, I don't think Hatchnov has a chance at this match. Now, if Shapovalov doesn't play that well, uh, he starts spraying the ball like we've seen him do from time to time. Sure, Hatchinov's got a chance. He'll be able to. <laughs> he'll be able to take some opportunities right now. Will he be able to do things like consistently hold? I don't know. That quarter match really makes us question things like that. And again, a, a weird dynamic mentally there into a deep, crazy fifth set. I get it, all of that. But Shapovalov's coming in fresher. He's coming in in much better form. I, I think Shapovalov just has to be a huge favorite in this one, and I'm taking him. The thing is, Shapovalov's got the firepower, the gumption to just, when Hatchinov gets tentative in those big moments, to take advantage of that fact. The thing is, Hatchinov does have that big serve that can give the, you know, big cut Shapovalov likes to take on the return troubles. And he does have some overwhelming pace on the forehand that can give the Shapovalov backhand trouble and just get into his body and force a couple of shank errors and just not allow Shapovalov to dictate from the baseline at the same time in a grass court match. Shapovalov is just immensely more comfortable moving forward. His court sense when he's up there more aware, and I think that matters. Then the fatigue factor, you're absolutely right. Although, in terms of physical fitness, you're not going to find someone who wears a six foot six frame better than Karen Hatchinov on a tennis court. I think he'll be able to bounce back. I think he'll be okay. That fifth set against Korda, so broken, right? Like, both of them were so drained, right. but it was just so broken that you wondered at that point. That, like, it was tennis, but not the sort of tennis you would expect, <laughs> certainly in sets one and two of this match. Now, the reason I re- lean Shapovalov as well is because I think you do start to feel that match in sets three, sets four. And I, while I think Hatchinov is going to take a set in this match, his power, his physicality will give Shapovalov trouble. I think Shapovalov wins out in the end because of all of the reasons you mentioned as well. So I would take Shapo in four, but I do think Hatchinov ends up stealing the set. I, I'll say this. I will be... I'll be pleasantly surprised slash impressed if Hatchinov does take a set. At this point, unless Shapovalov has a really bad start, gets down a break right off the bat or something, I just don't see it happening, especially if Shapovalov takes that first in somewhat convincing fashion. Like, I think he's running away with this match. Um, and that's not to, that's not speaking ill of anything, you know, in terms of Hatchinov as a competitor or anything like that, but 
physically, he's just going to be more drained. Um, Shapovalov is just ready for this moment. Um, so unless the young Canadian kind of folds, I, I think Hatchinov is just going to be outmatched here. It's a fair point to make. Well, then, our last match and the winner of that match will take on the winner of Djokovic, Fucevic. And, you know, Jamie, you are more excited for this match than anyone who doesn't have a crocodile in their Twitter profile. For some reason, this one just it, it tickles your twine. Make the case. I mean, look, Fucevic, I think he is the guy. He's looking, he's, he's looking for this kind of opportunity, right? We know him as the guy who can wreck draws but isn't always able to take advantage of that next round, right? You'll see him come up with something crazy in the first couple rounds and then just isn't able to, to always come through. But now he finds himself in an interesting spot. Now, is he going to come in a favorite? 100% not. Djokovic has just looked that good. Djokovic, I mean, has had a cakewalk of a great draw. Um, you know, the, his biggest threat, honestly, was Kevin Anderson, but it wasn't Kevin Anderson of a couple years ago. So was it truly a threat? No. I mean, the lines and just the over-under on games and everything for even his round of 16 match against a 17 seed was basically equal to a first round. It was ridiculous. So Djokovic has truly not been tested in this tournament. I think Vucevic is the first one to offer him that test. Um I think this is going to be an interesting match. I think it's going to be closer than most people expect. Um, and I guess for our sake, as people who are entertained by good matches, I, I hope that's true. But, I'm, <laughs> you know, like, I, what else can I say there? Like, I hope it's not just a Djokovic 2-2-2 route. Uh, but I do think Fucevic is going to make this more of a match than people realize. And um, I think Fucevic probably, you know, steals a 7-6 set, something like that. I don't think Djokovic runs away with this. I, 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 I Again, anything's possible Djokovic when he puts his mind to it but I think Fucevic locks in gives him some trouble I think there's some some weird glares and frustrated stares from Djokovic into the crowd and at his box I think Fucevic you know mans up and does this um you know I think on the changeover he just needs to be like Djokovic look Novak man I'm, I'm just better looking than you sorry getting his head a little bit hmm. um and I, look I I just think this is going to be more an interest, interesting match and hopefully Djokovic doesn't come out there and prove me wrong but what are Djokovic's odds right now can you guess I mean, it's going to be something obscene. Uh, I mean, probably like minus, I don't know. That's like, a, come on, three thousand minus five thousand. So yeah, for exactly. fans who so don't like, know what that means, you have to you have to bet five hundred dollars to win one. Um, yeah, I I just I I think Djokovic is on the pathway to number twenty, and I don't think there's any stopping him. I haven't seen. I just I'm afraid for Marton Fucevic that this is going to be a match where Djokovic goes. Uh, you know, it's time for me to wake up just in case. And sorry, Marton, but like, wait, you, hold on. What are his odds? It's fifty to win one, not five hundred. No, it's minus five thousand. Yeah, that's fifty to win one. No, it's no, it's five. No, no, no sorry, it's minus. No, isn't it? It's it's isn't it five hundred? I'm pretty sure it was five hundred where I looked. Well, if I, yeah, if, if it's if it's minus five thousand, that's fifty to win. No, one, sorry, five hundred to win ten. You're you're correct. I, I, I excuse me. I meant I, what I saw was minus fifty thousand. I saw it super lopsided. Did I see that wrong? Because you may be correct. Yours sounds it's way better 5, than 000. what I had in my head. It is minus five thousand. Okay, yes, you're correct. I I am incorrect. So it's five. It's fifty to win one. Thank you. A hundred to win two. No thanks. Like I'm good, <laughs> even with those odds. Like I'm still good. Um. Yeah, I I just think Djokovic. I have we haven't even seen him play his best yet, barring like one third set against Dennis Kudla. Like that was it. 
Like that was him turning it on, and I want. I think he's going to do it for the first two sets of this match. I think Djokovic advances, but again, those are your day nine matches running through the board. You look at the career head to heads: Djokovic two and zero against Fuchovic, Hatchinov zero and one against Shapovalov, Berrettini one and zero against FAA, Federer one and zero against Hercats. So not a big sample size of matches between any of these opponents more than anything else. It, it just schedules out to be a really, really fun day on the grounds in London. And with that in mind, Jamie, before we wrap the show, get to all of our outro things. Any final thoughts on day nine? I, again, similar to the women's side, I hope we get close competitive matches. Um, I think today was a little bit of a disappointment on the quarterfinal side for the women where it was just nothing really competitive. Again, nothing went past, what, an hour 21. So hopefully we don't just see straight set win, straight set win, straight set win. But uh, I, again, I, I guess I'll flip it to you. What do you think is the best match to be a total grind, like five setter, you know, that sort of blockbuster? Wh- which one do you think has the best chance? Is it Berrettini FAA for you? Well, if you listen to our GSP Ace of the Day, you know I think multiple matches tomorrow are going to go at least four sets. Yes, that match because of the just the serving prowess because I could see tiebreakers. Like the pathway to 7-6 mm. in multiple sets is very clear to me. And when you get to a tiebreaker, tie variable tennis, and either guy can steal a tiebreaker at that point, and then you find yourself in a fourth set. And so I just think from a style perspective – and an experienced perspective, that's the match I would turn to. But, like, I'm pretty sure Shapovalov and Hatchinov are both going to win sets, and I'm damn sure Hercats is winning at least one set against Federer, if not more. All right. We'll see. Let's just see how it plays. I feel good. (laughs) Listen to the ace of the day. I'll make the case for you. But, yeah, again, I'm actually just doubling down on that Hercats-Federer. I like to be either very right or very wrong. So I'll I'll say this. I will say this. If that ma- I think the longer that match extends, I like her catches odds more. Nice. I will give I'll, I'll give you that all day. Yeah. Um, the more physical it gets, the more of a true battle it becomes. I think her catch with the youth, his physicality. I, I I like that. I'm okay with that. But just generally in the sense of this match, I, I'll be I'll be shocked if Fed goes out there and loses on center court to Hubie Kerr, her catch. That's fair. It's fair. Again, it should be a really fun day of tennis. But of course, that will do it for today's mini break podcast. As aforementioned, if you would like to listen to my picks for uh, additional picks for day nine, go hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. If you have missed anything from the 2021 Wimbledon and you need to catch up, go to our website, crackrackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review to all of our podcasts. You need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Podcast. A shout-out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fleeter and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout-out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Go to tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15. Jaime, final thoughts as we head towards the home stretch of this 2021 Wimbledon? Let's see it, Fuchovic. Get her done, baby. I don't know. <laughs> That's is, all I got. Is the most enjoyable scenario Pliskova winning a title? Just in general? Yeah, what brings the most joy of all the alive players, men's, women's, regardless, what single title would bring the most joy? I think it's either Pliskova – I mean, tennis Twitter would go nuts for Berrettini. Um, I mean, you're going to get the obvious answer of Fed getting another one. I I mean, uh, realistically, on the men's men's on the other side. Men's on the other, I, I don't know. Like on the men's side, I think a lot of people will just say not Djokovic. Uh, <laughs> some people will say Djokovic. They want to keep the calendar slam alive. 
I'm okay. I, I get that. Like, that's cool. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I think I think Fed getting another one's got to be the got to be the biggest. Yeah, that was really stupid of me. You're right, <laughs> and like you're definitely right. And there's not even it's not even close. Um, but yeah, again, setting up to be a very fun home stretch of this 2021 Wimbledon. With that in mind, for my wonderful co-host James Foster McDonald, our super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and for all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 